0: the power of love exceeds the love of power, the world will be a better place. So that's the best advice I think we can get from anyone. That tells us the hierarchy we should choose between the two. And so my choice of hierarchy is, so it's like the impact on business, love first, power second. So I am for
1: the power of love rather than love of power. Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO podcast. I'm Richard Metcalf, founder of X Quadrant, and my mission is to help the world's top CEOs and entrepreneurs shift from incremental to exponential progress and create a huge positive impact on our world. Now, that requires you to reinvent yourself and transform your business. So, if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. Alper, hello and welcome to the show. Hi, Richard. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. So, Alper, what I know about you is that you look like you're on a mission to revolutionize education. I understand that one of your goals is to provide tuition-free tech education with jobs. To over 100,000 young professionals. So, how the hell do you go about doing that? <laughs> Tell us your story. Uh, how did you, you know, what 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 is Amsterdam Tech and, and what made you found this? Yes,
0: okay. What brought me up here? I've been in skills development last 30 years. I mean, ever since I graduated, uh, like two years after after I graduated university, originally a mechanical engineer. And I, my first job work was like working on Fuzzy Logic, the AI at our time. And I realized I wanted to do something more. And I found myself with, uh, in the skills development area. Then I realized after some years, which was like midway like of these 15 years in, in, on the way, I said, How, I've learned so much in the skills development domain, which made me a better person, which helped me to help others with my team. Then how can I make this at a scale work, you know, design and work, make it work at a scale that, that we can, I can see an impact uh, where it can help others, but also as others grow, I can keep growing myself and we can keep growing as a team. So that was the kind of the first time I, I wanted to move further beyond the trading of skills development, which was the business of skills development towards providing that at scale. So if you help people to reach their goals, they are much more open to, you know, grow from the personal side. So then I said, what if I do this for young professionals and what are their goals? And for young people,
1: you know, it's like
0: having an identity, having a place in the society, which starts with a job. So the job is the main goal for them. And then if you offer them the choices for having a job and profession, then they're interested into other things like personal development, leadership development. That's, that's been the kind of the core and the seeds of what we do. Then as we progress, uh, we realize the jobs were most available and skills were most needed in, in the areas of tech. Then I said, what if we? builds a system against the skills gap. On one side, it allows companies to find talented people. On the other side, it gives the opportunities for young professionals to reskill, upskill themselves, and you know get really exciting jobs. So in a, in a nutshell, it's an ecosystem that we built to help
1: uh, to help us grow and also to help us to help others to grow. Mm. Okay, so let me play that back. What I heard is you had a career in skills development, leadership development in corporate, and then you realized there was this opportunity to do something quite different by matching you know, supply and demand around tech skills. It feels quite a jump, right? So what was it that really got you going? Saying, so you know what? I'm all in. We're going to build this. It's going to be a To be like a a university, it's going to have really integrate with with companies on one hand, but it's going to build this curriculum because that's quite innovation, right? Potentially from somebody who was doing, say, leadership development programs within a business. So, what kind of um, what lit your fire up to do this? Was it like a pure business opportunity that you saw? Was it a sense of purpose? Um, was it just did it sound like just like fun? You know, what what kind of got got you going? This is an amazing question, Richard. I think. When you
0: when you work around things with impact, it's always you have this kind of paradox, not not dilemma, but paradox of is it impact or is it business, you know? And I think a paradox is a nice concept where you can have seemingly opposite things at the same time, you know? So I think my driving force, you know, it's been, as you said, it's a huge, it's been a huge leap, I mean, to, because we bootstrapped it, I personally mortgaged my house to finance the university, and university is a high investment. And I We did an IPO for our um, core business, the legacy business. We got used funds and everything. And we had so much hard times because it's a regulated environment it, becoming a university. So at all these hard times, I think if it was only a business opportunity, I would have given up. Maybe hundred times. The only times, uh, you know, you know, there is this Japanese saying that you fall down seven times, get up eight times. You know, every time I got up when I felt I was down, um, that this dream of making a difference for young people was the was the was where I got my energy from. So, in a nutshell, I think the the impact opportunity supported with the business opportunity, but impact is in, in the forefront, was actually the driving force for me. And I had this burning desire to share that with greater number of people and, to, you know, and that was kind of my growth formula. So
1: and that's, that's what kept me up. So let's get into it. So- So you you decided you wanted to do this, make a difference for young people. You decided to found a university um, and match up companies with people and build this whole curriculum. Where did you start, right? Uh, You know, how did you kind of get the thing going? It sounds like it's quite a huge undertaking. Yes, yes. I think
0: becoming a university, as I told you, is a highly regulated environment. So you get to have a license and accreditation for the university. So I knew that. And one of the first things, when you go into higher education, one of the first things you realize if you open you really open your eyes, higher education or universities are not really in the education sector. sector. They are in real estate sector. I'll tell you why. Because to get accredited as a university, the accreditors don't look at your education quality, they look at your resources. They first look at your building, facilities it's a kind of hundred years old thinking. So I realized that. So f- the first thing I did is how can I build a university to hack into the system? I'm kind of disclosing it right now because I always wanted to do digital first university, but the year 2013 I had just met with the founders of zoom and it was like everything was so new. So talking about the digital university at that time was like a black sheep in the room, you know? So, And nobody, not even my family, was taking me serious. Oh, you're going to do an online university. It's not a real university, you know? So I had to build a physical university to get the license. And that's what what the European Leadership University was built at that time. So in 2017, we got the license with a campus in Cyprus, which gave us access to the European education ecosystem with the accreditations. So that was our starting point. And I've chosen Cyprus because at that time, I was based in Istanbul. It was close. I could travel. The real estate was reasonably priced. And, that was, and Cyprus is an amazing island. There are 100,000 students in, an island in Northern Cyprus where, with a population of 300,000. Like, one third of the island is like with our students. So there was already an educational ecosystem. So it was the right place to start a safe place to start, with many challenges, of course. And um, that was the first. And at the same time, I built the, on- uh, the digital version, the online university in Amsterdam. So the company started at the same time. So we, we, ke- we kept using the license uh, out of Cyprus um to exist in in the Netherlands now we are almost we are very close to be recognized as a local university in the Netherlands we are internationally accredited already so uh, but we will be one of the n- newest universities in Netherlands hopefully by the end of this year
1: so I'm interrupting you a second but I, I'm curious like you've, you've, you've built this thing out you know you're getting accreditation you've opened the second campus and What's been your secret for making this happen, right? I mean, I know you talked about relationships as being a key strength perhaps that you have you know was it that? I'm just wondering as a leader as an entrepreneur basically in this space what what was the skill set that has enabled you to do this right like what what's your magic what's your secret source? Well,
0: I can tell you two things um one thing is you know i when we were chatting before the show, I told you like. One of the amazing people I met, so many amazing people who've been mentors for me. But one of the amazing people I met was a gentleman called Benjamin Zander, who was the conductor of Boston Philharmonic. And in a, a in a short period of time, I had spent with him. We've done so, certain programs together. He told me something I never forgot. He said, "You know, I asked him how can you manage like a Philharmonic orchestra, which is very difficult and you know, lots of people and these things, how do you manage these, all these challenges of this complex environment? And he said that I never take myself seriously. I said, I take my experience seriously. I always kept that. And I kind of, my version of that is that I never take myself seriously. I take my relationships, which is the experience is a part of my relationship seriously. So for me, the relationships right now, is this post podcast. So for me, this podcast is more important, the experiences, than me, myself, and how I show up and everything. Or for the university, it's the university, this web of relationships in the university, is more important either with my teams or with our students and their experience than myself. So that's been a guiding force.
1: So let me ask you let me ask you about that. Um, it's lofty. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love it. How do you manage to do that, right? I'm thinking many leaders would be like, "Wow, that sounds great, right?" But I know in reality, I'm always kind of, you know, <laughs> focused on my own agenda deep down, or yeah, you know, I don't, I do get distracted when I'm with people, or I'm focusing about my lists or my tasks. Yeah, you know, do you have any tips for people who are always sure that they're connecting with others in that deep way? I can give two tips. I think one is, uh, I think something
0: inspired from Iran. When I hear people like me I, saying these kind of things, I become really irritated and warned because they are on a mission to save the world and everything. I, I find it very dangerous. So I don't want to be in that league. So everything I do, even though I don't take myself seriously when I work or whatever, but everything I do is like, you know, first, you know, how can I say that? Um, I filter everything through my own experience, so rather than experience of others. So it's kind of like in the airplane, when you get the oxygen mask, you put it on you and then you others. So it's not like I'm discounting everything about me and on a mission to save the world. This can, so this is a paradoxical thing, you know, kind of may seem contradictory, but still that's how I can really be real be understand that's number one the number thing is i think the being in service of something greater than myself is always energizing and so that gives me the resilience and that gives me the energy not to give up you know not to postpone not to procrastinate and it's always stay focused but on that mission, I, I want to say that is growing others and myself is, I want to make sure I'm growing as well, as much as others in that same thing, rather than, oh, I'm done, and I'm, I'm so perfect and evolved and I can help others. No, I'm not there. I don't think I will ever be there. So that's the oxygen mask, you know, I want to grow as well together with with the learners and with the faculty, with the students as well. This is my
1: opportunity as well as others. So, yeah, yeah, I I love that. I think we've always have a next level. One of my mentors, right? We always have a next level to get to. And I think what you said around being on a mission that's bigger than you is also important because it then does, the danger you say is it can become a millstone that's so serious and so heavy that we can kind of die under the weight of it. But if we take ourselves with that bit of humor, as you said, not take ourselves so seriously, this is an important game that we're playing, right? Make a difference. But if we don't make a difference, perhaps somebody else will as well, right? So we don't have to necessarily feel the weight exclusively on our own shoulders. It's, it's a tricky balance.
0: Yes. I asked the question you asked um, to one of my mentors some years ago, and I use his advice. And, you know, how do you manage this kind of being on a mission, you know, how can I stay connected and all that. And he had told me that you give it, you give until it hurts. And when you feel the pain, give it just a little bit more. (laughs) So I think that's the point. And I think for us in that world of trying to make a difference, I think having this ability to give until it hurts is, I think the biggest ability. And that's the thing that keeps me alive.
1: I hope you're enjoying this conversation. This is just a quick interlude to remind you that my book, Making Time for Strategy, is now available. If you want to be less busy and more successful, I highly recommend that you check it out. Why not head over to makingtimeforstrategy.com to find out the details. Now, back to the conversation. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And that's really a deep thing, right? And I think for many leaders that actually building that muscle in this area is quite important. And yeah, I'll I'm, be honest, there's times when I need to be there as well, right? Um, on my best day, I'm there, I'm serving, I'm completely focused on other people, right? And then when I have my bad days, I, I start to get you know focused inwards. And uh, that's never helpful, right? It never actually works. The thing that we think is going to help us, notably focusing in on ourselves, tends not to be the thing that brings us freedom and gets us to where we want to go. Uh, but it's a constant reminder.
0: Yes, I think so. You triggered something very interesting, Richard. I think all my life, the driving value for me as a person has been freedom. I think so. You, when I heard it from you, you know, it, that was an amazing trigger. And for freedom, I learned on the way freedom comes together, it always goes hand in hand with another value, which is responsibility, taking charge of your life and everything. So I think one of the pillars of our, our community Amsterdam Tech is that, is the freedom, which requires accountability responsibility at the same time. And this is how I, how I kept going for myself, too. And freedom is not like doing anything you want. It's like being choiceful at any moment. So we're trying to give that to all of us in our ecosystem in Amsterdam Tech that whether it's professional, whether it's relationships, we we are choiceful and we grow in these choices and we take responsibility of our uh, choices and, and go from there.
1: Albert, while we're on these deeper topics, let's go to this question about power. I know you've said that dealing with power was one of the harder things that you've actually had to deal with as part of your own leadership journey. Can you say a bit more about that? Yes, I think what uh, I didn't want to
0: take long and I didn't go there, but one of the other answers that I would give to your earlier question would be around power. And I I gave the simpler version, but I think one of our challenges as people in the leadership position is we have lots of power. We have access to lots of power. And how do I define power? It's this energy uh, that enables us to make Things happen that get things done, you know, in the simplest sense. And sometimes we may have the tendency that we have that power, but it is not. We're bestowed uh, with this power rather than we have it. It's kind of given to us to get things done, but we don't really have it. We can we can see it with army generals who had like all this power, and the moment they retire. They don't have anything, you know? They, it's it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing example. But then what I learned, um, there's a great definition that helped me. Like, I think the world lives in two pillars, like through all the whole universe, actually. The other one is power, which gets things done. The other one is, I learned, is love. And love, not in the sense that erotic love or anything, but I, I give, I inspire a different, uh, meaning, which is, the again, the energy that connects things that are seemingly apart. So, so I think, for example, speaking is, to me, an act of power, but listening is an act of love, Then sense-making and all these things. So what I learned is I think having a great life is kind of having a nice balance between these two dynamics, power and love. You know, on one side you get things done, but on the other side, you kind of focus on your connections, relationships, which
1: is love. Well, it's beautifully put. I, um, It's funny. I had a conversation, I think it was just yesterday by somebody saying, you know, it sounds a bit funny, but like, I believe in love in the business world. All right. And I just think that so many people uh filter it, like we can't possibly use this word love in the business world. I remember my, myself and what I was doing. Being coached myself a couple of years ago, and I had to, basically I had to do this kind of rant at some point, point. and I was ranting on about like I wanted to create a love revolution, you know, in the tech sector or whatever. And the point is, people can react against that. But actually, these days I just use words like contribution and service, right? But fundamentally, you know, compassion, contribution, service for others—it's love in action. And I realized that some of my deepest cravings, you know, are for creativity. For connection, you know, with myself, getting out my head and connecting myself and also with other people. And so many other leaders actually think about it. We've got all our resume goals, the things we want to achieve. But actually connecting with ourselves and connecting with others, having fun and being creative. These are just so essential to being human. Why, why, why take them out of the business world? They're essential. It's yes, a lovely quote. I mean, I want to give credit to Adam Kahani.
0: It's also one of the people uh, who wrote the book Power and Love. Adam worked, uh, you know, in South Africa with uh, Mandela at the at the time. He's now, I think, in Canada. But I strongly recommend his book. And he he was inspired from Paul Tillich with that definition. But that definition was so liberating for me, and ever since, which I also it saved my doctorate. It it gave me an opening. And I'm very bold about this. I mean, I don't really you know, use like action and connection, for example. I could have easily used power instead of power. But I really i am bold about it. And I, if people ask me, who are you? I say, I'm a lover. And what do you love? I say, I love love. I'm a lover of love. I mean, and for the sake of love, I can love anything else. So, And you know, when you put these two words together, I mean, there is so much in the place for that in the business especially in the impact. But then the hierarchy of these two two topics or two concepts is very important. There, we are reminded by Jimi Hendrix, actually. He told us, uh, when the power of love exceeds the love of power, the world will be a better place. So that's the best advice I think we can get from anyone. That tells us the hierarchy we should choose between the two. And so my choice of hierarchy is, so it's like the impact on business, love first, power
1: second. So I am for the power of love rather than love of power. Sorry, I'm just getting excited by you quoting Jimi Hendrix at me. This is good. Uh, <laughs> I want to get my, you know, I have my guitar. I'm, I, I've, I'm in the wrong room today. I'm not in my usual office. And I actually normally have my guitar, my electric guitar in the corner. So I'd have, be, I'd have been like getting into the mood on this. Uh, I love it. So let's kind of move the conversation forward because I, I think we, this is a great conversation, but I really want to as well look at this question of how you're multiplying your impact. So you've said that your goal is to provide tuition-free tech education with jobs to the 100K professionals. And you said before the show that you want to then scale that to a million or, or beyond. You know, What's it going to take to make that happen, do you think? You know, What's, what's going to be next? Well, First of all, we're not there yet. I mean, that's
0: uh, the dream. We are we we are still we are right now very affordable. So our programs are top quality, and like we have, we do bachelor of software engineering, data science, artificial intelligence. We have uh, the, also the masters in artificial intelligence, data science. So the co- comparable a- against the comparable programs, we are a fraction of what others charge. But we are not 100% tuition free, but we are very close. I think in a year or two, we're going to be there. And what it takes, I think having like an ambitious, you know, a, a, a very tough goal like that, it requires really out of the box thinking. So how can you offer tuition free education in a very costly industry like education? So and where do you kind of, how do you keep the business going? So that makes us innovate every day. That's our innovation question. How can we make it tuition free? How can we make it tuition free? That's like kind of, it's almost like asking question. How can I make a car gasoline free or something like that? You know, so um, that helps us innovate and it takes, A lot of thinking, a lot of iterations. We use agile in everything we do. So we we keep innovating uh, through uh, sprints and uh, agile processes. And we learned lots of things. For example, the the 50%, at least the 50% of the tuition comes from brick and mortar, from the building, which has limited impact on the learning. Because I'll tell you why. We didn't have this environment before we had to bring people together. So we needed buildings. So I understand that, but today we don't need it because what I learned in my career, organizations are not, or or education or organizations are not like buildings. They are not their products. They are not their logos or organizations are simply one thing. They are conversations and and anything like this phone you know it's from a brand whatever it's from an organization but it's a frozen version of a set of conversations made at a certain time so everything are conversations so if you can if you want to have a quality organization you want to have a quality of high quality conversations so When we can have conversations, doesn't matter where they are. Education is also conversation. Technology is conversation. So now we have enough resources to enable these conversations. We've seen it with the pandemic. And I think digital is getting better and better. So the building, when you get rid of the building, you get rid of 50% of the cost. The other thing is teaching. So the teaching is, to me, is about at least 10 15% of the cost. And today, we don't need teaching. We don't need tutors. We need facilitators. We need guides. We need coaches. We need mentors. But we don't need teachers, because knowledge doesn't need to be in the heads of a teacher anymore. It's in Google. It used to be in Google. And we knew the generative AI was going to come. Now it's in the AI. So the AI can be a tutor and a better tutor than us. But we have this relational quality where in our organization, so we don't have teachers or tutors. We have our faculty are either facilitators or mentors or coaches. And in these exchanges, relational exchanges, they enable people to upskill themselves. So we got rid of that as well. The second, the final thing is, which is very hidden, this innovation process, I'm giving all the secrets of our kind of fusion-free pathway. Uh, You know, when you facilitate a workshop or a class, or uh, you are 1 to 500 people, or 1 to 100, or 1 to 20. So in one hour, you can reach 200 people. So that's not a big cost. It's a fraction. But when you assess an assignment, which is important in the higher education, you do 1 to 1. So you spend 15 minutes for every student. So, if you have one million students, you cannot do it. So, how do you scale? Well, all of our programs are project-based, and all of our assignments are project-based, connected to competencies. And believe or not, they are given our by AI platform and assessed by AI platform, and validated by the faculty and the students, peer to peer. But our platform does an amazing job assessing the students. So, all of a sudden, this. One to one, like with every student assessment time we saved. So all we're left is, you know, top faculty working as a guide, coach, mentor, facilitator for our learners to grow. And that's not, that's uh, that cost we cover with our employment partners. That's a fraction of the cost of a typical university and our employer partners for the. You know, sake of finding amazing talent built with tech and leadership capabilities, they of course pay this cost, and this cost for them is much lower than hiring a good engineer. The cost of hiring, you know, much a fraction of what they would give to a recruitment agency.
1: Yeah, beautiful. I love all these. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, A university without a campus or without cheap teachers and without assessments in some ways. It's amazing. So Albert, there's one real question I want to ask you at this point as we draw to a close here, and that's what do you need to shift inside of you if you want to be an impact multiplier? right? If you want to multiply the own impact that you make, get out of your own way and have a bigger impact in the world, what comes to mind when I ask you about that personal stretch that you're going to have to wrestle with in the years to come? amazing question i think immediate answer is
0: i need to be i need to be bolder i need to be more uh, courageous yeah i need to stand up uh, for that vision that i'm serving uh, at the hard times but i think i need to be bolder and uh, bold and brave and also i think not not worried about conflict because when you are on the path of innovation, doing new things, there's always a lot of conflict. So sometimes I,
1: I'm i scared of conflict, so I don't want to rock the boat or whatever, but I think- There's a phrase, right? Uh, the obstacle is the way. And I want to put for you, perhaps conflict is the way, right? Perhaps you need to zoom in. like Where is that? And Conflict is one word. You can just describe it as something else. It can just be sparky discussions. It can just be a debate of ideas, right? It can just be, you know, putting your finger where where the energy is, right? Sometimes when we reframe it, like, who wants to go into a world of conflict? Perhaps nobody. Some people do, but most don't. They're saying, yeah, I want to go where you know and have lively debate. I want to go where you know have the important conversations. Uh, you know, wh- where there's energy and spark, it might be a different, more and positive way for, for you to actually lean into that. And I hear you. A lot of leaders say things like, I need to focus more, be more, you know, attention. But I think you've got a level deeper, which is, yeah, like, where do I need to be braver? Where do I need to be bolder? Where do I need to think bigger? And, and, also, and you talk about that sense of inner power, right? Sometimes we give away our power because we're trying to be nice, we're trying to please people, we're trying to manage expectations. And actually, when we have a conviction of where we need to go, sometimes we need to bring that out and embody it. And um, nothing's going to stop us. Yeah,
0: and it may sound provocative. It may sound provocative, but it it is what we want to do. I think we want to be provocateurs uh, to make a change. Yeah, exactly. And thanks for reminding. um, I think the Ryan Holiday, which I also had the. Opportunity to meet him as well, like Benjamin Zander, was he had this book with that title. Yeah, it was amazing.
1: So, Alper, if people want to find out about you or about uh, Amsterdam Tech, you know, where do they where do they go and do that? So,
0: I think the best way to connect with us is for me. I'm on LinkedIn, so Alper Utku, you can find me on LinkedIn. For us, we are amsterdam.tech. Very simple domain name. So you can reach us at amsterdam.tech and join us, you know, as a mentor, as a facilitator, as a student, as an employer. Uh, just join our community. Um, so that's how to find
1: us. Beautiful. I've really enjoyed that conversation. I've enjoyed. We've gone from deep, you know, from conflict and 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 being bold to love and compassion and, uh, and to power. We've talked about innovation in the education space about you know removing teachers, removing classrooms, removing one-to-one assessments, uh, shaking things up, innovating. You know, A huge part of that journey. It's been really fascinating to kind of dive in and explore these areas with you. I love your depth of thinking, your openness, and you're willing to be present in this conversation and give it your all. So I really appreciated that. And I look forward to following you on, as you're, on your journey as you multiply your impact. So thanks very much. Thank you for the opportunity, Richard, and I,
0: I I look forward to continuing our conversation.
1: Thank you. Well, that's a wrap. If you received value from this conversation, please do leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. We'd deeply appreciate it. And if you'd like to check out the show notes from this episode, head to xquadrantcom slash podcast where you'll find all the details. Now, finally, When you're in top leadership, who supports and challenges you at a deep level to help you multiply your impact? Discover more about the different ways we can support you at xquadrant.com.